0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers destroyed the Dallas Cowboys. That's it. That's the whole intro. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and my soul has not quite returned to my body yet. They said the Packers could not do it on the road. They said that the Packers did not deserve to be in the playoffs. They said the Packers should just be happy with what they've gotten so far this season. And now the Packers get to be happy with taking apart the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas with Jerry Jones fully unable to comprehend what his aged brain was seeing. I know they said a lot of those things about the Packers because I said a bunch of it. I don't regret saying it because... It felt true at the time. The Packers should be happy with what they had done to this point. The Packers were going to have a tough time doing it on the road. And you know what? They went out there and they did it anyway. They went out there and they did everything they had to do to beat the Dallas Cowboys. We said Jordan Love had to play like a star. He did. He was very nearly perfect. So close to being perfect that it took one incomplete pass to take literal quarterback rating, passer rating, excuse me, perfection away from him. We had to have Aaron Jones play like a star. He did. His fourth straight 100 yard rushing game. We had to have somebody else step up on offense. They did. It was Romeo Dobbs. Out of nowhere with one of the greatest performances statistically in Packers receiving history. More on that in a second. We had to get some big plays from the Packers defense. We did. Jire Alexander playing on one foot intercepts Dak Prescott deep in Cowboys territory. Darnell Savage comes out of nowhere with an interception, returns it all the way for a touchdown. There were times today where I could not feel every part of my body because I was so excited. There were times when I just assumed the next play was going to be a touchdown. There were times when I was making incomprehensible sounds as the Packers continued to score touchdown after touchdown after touchdown against the Dallas Cowboys. How does this happen? How do all these stars align so perfectly? How do I bring this level of energy to a podcast that is normally pretty stoic and reserved? I don't know. But I think it's pretty well perfectly explained by the Packers being young. Greg Olson got up on his high horse during the game and said that that really doesn't matter. Greg Olson would not know what it means to be a young player playing in a playoff game because he didn't appear in a playoff game until his fourth NFL season. You're pretty old by that point by NFL standards, so you don't—you literally do not know what you're talking about, Greg Olson. And that—that that is a pretty big claim as a person who has played in zero NFL games. But I think that the case for the Packers playing well because they are young is stronger than what one NFL commentator says about it, even if he has played in the NFL and I hasn't, and I haven't. Because the Packers, I think, simply don't know what they don't know. There was no pressure on the Packers today. They had nothing to lose, and they had no idea what you're not supposed to do. It's been said that winning is a habit, and unfortunately so is losing, but what do you have when you've never played in a playoff game before? You've got no habits at all. You have no habits of winning or losing. You can just go out there and be who you are. And who are these young Packers? They have a talented young quarterback who is still figuring out what he is as a player. Hard to have a book on a guy like that. You've got a bunch of young wide receivers who all seem to be figuring it out at the exact same time in real time. Romeo Dobbs figuring out who he is as a player. Jaden Reed figuring out who he is. Dontavian Wicks, Christian Watson, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, all of them finding their place at the same time together. There is no scheming for an offense that doesn't even know what it really is yet but has a bunch of talented young guys. They can just be this amorphous blob of young talent that they can throw at you and what is going to happen each and every week. You don't know, so you can't prepare to stop it. You've got a play caller already one of the more creative minds in the NFL on offense, who is still trying to figure out the limits of what this offense is, what it can and can't do, and seemingly finding out on a weekly basis that there are close to no limits. Then you've got a defense that can randomly have some huge plays, because even if they aren't very good, almost everybody out there is either a freak athlete or a veteran who has seen almost literally their, everything there is to see on an NFL football field. And I'm talking specifically with that second one about Preston Smith, because he's really the only veteran they have, who seems to matter at this point. Veteran, I guess, in that he is significantly older than Darnell Savage, really the next most experienced player on their defense, other than, you know, Kenny Clark and, and Rashawn Gary. I guess they do have a few other veterans on their defense. But you see what I'm saying. Either they're a gonzo athlete, or you're a veteran who's been around long enough to know what you have to do to succeed on the field. It all adds up to a team that doesn't appear to be afraid of anything and is putting it all together at the right time and is now going to be one of eight teams standing as they quest for a Super Bowl. This seems like a a group that can add up to some wild and crazy stuff. To return to the point about Matt LaFleur, if he's trying to find out the limits of this offense, is there a limit to this entire team? Should we be talking about the possibility of a Super Bowl? I'm not going to go that far. But I will say that anything can happen. You might be a team that, say, just to pull a number out of a hat, two and five through your first seven games, and you might end up in the playoffs, and you might end up beating one of the top-seeded teams in the entire playoffs. If you seeded everybody, regardless of conference, where would the Cowboys rank? in the top 2 or 3 you would think for sure I'm just i'm not even talking by win and win loss records by the overall quality of the team they would have been right up there at the top and the packers came to their stadium and gutted them just dominated them in every conceivable way it's often said that you are what your record says you are well right now it says the packers are 1 and 0 in the playoffs that's all that matters you got to get into the tournament the packers are in they've got to win that's who they are they are a team that just did that to the dallas cowboys a team that was good nearly all season long we listed off the litany of the cowboys big wins you know 33 to 10 40 to nothing 49 to 17 or 42 to 17 whatever it was against the giants the second time big win after big win after big win sure they had some big losses in there But they were a solid, strong team, and the Packers took them apart. What does that say about where the Packers are and what they can be? Maybe nothing. It's a week-to-week league. This could easily happen to the Packers again next week. But again, the Packers are going to be that same team. They're going to be that team with the young quarterback, with the talented receivers, with Matt LaFleur figuring out how all this fits together, and a defense that still can be unpredictable, which is one of the scariest things you can be in the NFL. And that cuts both ways, as we as Packers fans obviously know. But here the Packers are, having done it, and they did it to the Dallas Cowboys in a big way. We're not going to bother with any bad things today. There are no bad things worth discussing in any substantive fashion in a playoff game where you win scoring 48 points. You want a couple bad things, okay, it could have been 49. We'll talk about exactly how that shook out with uh, Anders Carlson when we do our rookie segment. There is one small bad thing for you, just to get it out of the way here. The good things, though, let's start with Aaron Jones. We said he needed to be a star today. How about just the fourth three-touchdown game in Green Bay Packers history? The only others, Ryan Grant during the, uh, the 2007 playoffs. Randall Cobb during the 2016 playoffs, and Sterling Sharp during the 1993 playoffs against the Detroit Lions, until today, the only road three-touchdown game in Packers playoff history. Aaron Jones, on his way to his fourth touchdown today, was pulled on the way down the field there, Emmanuel Wilson taking a few of his snaps. Romeo Dobbs did end up up getting the touchdown, and I'm glad that Romeo Dobbs did because he was having a pretty spectacular... um, game as well. He deserved to score a touchdown. Speaking of Romeo Dobbs, just the third 150-yard playoff game, playoff receiving game in Packers history. Devontae Adams had eight catches for 160 yards against the Seattle Seahawks in the 2019 playoffs. Jermichael Finley, six catches for 159 yards in that shootout against the Arizona Cardinals. And then you have Romeo Dobbs today joining Devontae Adams as just the second player in Packers history to have 150 receiving yards and a touchdown in the same game. Who was throwing the ball to Romeo Dobbs? Jordan Love. Near perfect today and was perfect by passer rating until the Packers put him back out there for a, uh, a series as the Cowboys tried to, uh, to to rally late there, had the incomplete pass to Tucker Craft. Do you want to blame Tucker Craft? Do you want to blame Matt LaFleur? I don't know. It would have been cool for Love to have a literally perfect passer rating in his first-ever playoff game, but we'll have to settle merely for 157.2. More impressively, I think, though, than just the the pure numbers there, was that it felt like Dallas was really intentional with their pressure in this one. They were trying to get after Jordan Love and he did not have a single bit of trouble with it at all. Seemed to know where everybody was supposed to be, seemed to know how to get the ball out and on time. Dallas finished with zero sacks and three quarterback hits, and Jordan Love could not have cared less about what the Dallas Cowboys were doing in terms of pressure because he was finding players left, right, and center despite people being in his place, in his face all the time. Romeo Dobbs was the recipient most of the time. Duntavian Wicks had a, had a great play, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. In fact, let's talk about it right now. I had this save for our, our cheese curd segment at the end, uh, but I wanted to mention Love's heads-up play that led to Wicks' touchdown there. So the Packers are driving in the second quarter, facing a second and seven after a Aaron Jones' run on first down. Second and seven, Aaron Jones gets stuffed again, and what do the Cowboys think? They think, okay, Third and long. Third and seven is coming. We're going to sub. Jordan Love sees that happening, hustles everybody to the line. The Cowboys are in complete disarray. They might have had 19 players on the field at that time. Mike McCarthy decides to use a timeout. The very next play, Dallas brings pressure, but Love is prepared for it, using the timeout, putting that to good work, dialing up a great play between him and Matt LaFleur, hitting Dontavian Wicks for a touchdown. And who is it that Dontavian Wicks beat on that play? Stefan Gilmore, who we talked about in our preview as having been a one-time presumed Packer, and just as importantly, a five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro. Yes, that's not what he is this season or anymore, but that is the caliber of play that Wicks beat on that touchdown play. Finally, the defense wanted them to take big plays, hoped that they would get plays on the ball. It felt like they did. They ended up with 12 ball hawks today, their second-highest total of the season, tied for the second-highest total of the season in a single game. The Darnell Savage pick, I think, is the perfect example of what we were hoping for from the Packers. Just needed someone to step up and make an unexpected play out of nowhere. But was it that unexpected? Just after the two-minute drill, Cowboys are driving. Who are they going to be looking for? Probably C.D. Lamb. He had made a couple plays on that drive. The Packers can sit back and hope that the Cowboys are going to bleed clock. But they didn't. They called an aggressive coverage there. Savage breaks hard on CeeDee Lamb's route, which is a dangerous thing because if Dak Prescott sees that you're breaking hard, he can pull it back and knows that he's probably going to have you know, opportunities down the field. Brandon Cooks is not what he once was as a deep threat, but still no slouch in the speed category. There may have been opportunities available down the field if Prescott sees what's going on there. Instead, surprised by the Packers' aggression, there's Darnell Savage for his second consecutive career pick six. This is just his second interception in about, well, 14 months now. His last interception, came during the Packers' 41-17 to win over the Minnesota Vikings. And as it so happened, he happened to return that one for 75 yards and a touchdown, meaning that this, his second interception in the last however many games that would be, is his second second consecutive pick six. Then, if you're looking for another example of the Packers really playing some pretty good situational football on defense, fourth and five late in the third quarter, the, the, the Cowboys are starting to get a little bit desperate here. But on 4th and 5, the Packers don't sit back and play coverage. The Packers bring a blitz. Joe Barry dials up some pressure. Prescott has really no choice but to throw it up deep into the secondary, and it falls harmlessly to the turf. The Packers take over on downs, and I believe they march down just for another score. Regardless, it was another wasted possession for the Dallas Cowboys in their effort to get back into the game, which they were never really able to do keep in mind even with the the rally late this game was never really that close the cowboys even you know making their effort late even though that might have felt a little bit bad and made you a little bit antsy as a packers fan that has seen some less than stellar defensive performances in the playoffs consider this the the cowboys at the end of the game were still two touchdowns two two-point conversions, and two recovered onside kicks away from tying the game. That's still a lot that had to go right for the Cowboys, even if they were rallying a little bit, even if the Packers were playing a little bit, perhaps too soft um, on, on defense. There was still a lot of work to be done for the Cowboys to even tie that game, put a pin in that idea. We will come back to it here in a second. What does this all mean? You want to talk about wins and losses and legacy and stuff like that? You you can't get away from that kind of thing in the playoffs. So what does this all mean? The biggest and I think best takeaway for Packers fans here is that the Packers appear to be ahead of schedule. We can talk the the, the comparison all season long has been between Jordan Love and 2008 Aaron Rodgers. How do the Packers do in Jordan Love's first season as the starter. Well, you look about at how the Packers did in 2008. Aaron Rodgers' first season as starter. Maybe the real comparison now should be the 2009 Packers. If the 2009 Packers had won their shootout with the Arizona Cardinals in the desert there instead of a 51 to 45 loss in the playoffs, if the Packers had been able to well, say that Aaron Rodgers had been able to connect with Greg Jennings at the start of overtime instead of just overshooting him there and that had gone for a touchdown and the Packers' win. They're on the, at the same place where the 2023 Packers are right now. Regardless of how you slice it, I think it is abundantly clear that the Packers are ahead of schedule. And given how they've now performed, making it into the playoffs and the wins that they've had and and all of those things, They're going to have to be ahead of schedule because they're falling down the draft board with every late season success here. I would much rather have the late season success than the slightly higher draft pick, though. This is much more fun, and as we've seen, if you do your work on days two and three of the draft, it really doesn't matter who you're picking in the first round because you can get a lot of contributors late in the draft as the Packers did in the 2023 draft, Oh, and Lucas Van Ness did something that no Packers rookie has done in quite some time today. We'll talk about that here in a second. But that's one thing that this win means. I think secondly, it means that there's quite a bit of validation here for Matt LaFleur. Can Matt LaFleur coach without Aaron Rodgers? Can Matt LaFleur get all these youngsters on schedule? Can Matt LaFleur develop Jordan Love into a, a, a great player? Well, the Packers just put up 48 points in the playoffs with their offense clicking just about every time they touched the ball, and I didn't see Aaron Rodgers out there, and I didn't see Devontae Adams out there, and I didn't even see David Bakhtiari out there. The Packers' offense was humming, and it's doing so without any of the Hall of Fame track or caliber players that they had just a couple of years ago. That sounds pretty good to me. Matt LaFleur, I think, is making a very strong case for himself as one of the better coaches in the NFL this season. And then, it could mean that Joe Barry is back. Look, I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm not saying it's an idea that I would be in favor of. The Packers should go in a different direction this offseason. But as I've said before, we are in the end game for the Joe Barry Returns to the 2024 Green Bay Packers situation. If you laid that out after the Panthers game, as we did, or after yeah, after the Panthers game, after the Buccaneers game, after the Packers lost, what does Joe Barry have to do? Well, get the Packers to the playoffs. Got to have some strong performances down the stretch here. Got to get a playoff win. They beat the Panthers. Defense didn't play great, but they won. They beat the Vikings. Defense did play pretty great, albeit against a pretty bad quarterback. Beat the Bears. Again, not such a great quarterback, but they held them to field goals only. Beat the Cowboys, and the Packers were up 32 at one point. The defense was doing something well for most of that game. In our hypothetical situation where Joe Barry heads into Matt LaFleur's offense, making the case for why he should have a job back, we're getting some data points We're getting the sort of thing that a guy who can make a case for himself as he's done with the Detroit Lions, pretty easy case when your father-in-law is the head coach, with Washington, now at the Green Bay Packers. Remember, Barry was the second choice, and he was hired, as Matt LaFleur said, after a a series of conversations, a series of phone calls over several days where Barry convinced him that he was the man for the job. If Barry's got to do that again, it's a pretty convincing series of data points to say, look, when we needed wins, I was there. When we needed the defense to really step up, Jaron Hall and Nick Mullins couldn't get it done against us when we were playing the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. Justin Fields was shut down. We took CeeDee Lamb out of it for three quarters. He wasn't making plays until it didn't matter anymore. Look, I know that the it, it says that we gave up 32 points or whatever, but it didn't matter. That game is not as close as it looked. You can bring me back, Matt. I'm not going to do you wrong again. I hope that doesn't happen. But it at least has to be on the board now. We'll see what Kyle Shanahan has to say about that because the 49ers are the one seed in the NFC playoffs. The Packers are the seventh seed, meaning that they are headed to, to San Francisco no matter what. Uh, as of right now, I don't have details on when the Packers are playing. Let me check a couple sources here and see if we can dial something up during this podcast. But it doesn't really matter because the Packers are going to have to beat the 49ers on the road, which is going to be a tall order. Maybe we should just go ahead and start counting them out right now uh, just to get ahead of all that and make sure that we, we know um, you know, who's doubting the Packers as of, uh, as of right now. So maybe we should just like collectively start doubting the Packers and see what turns out to be the case. Yeah. I'm not seeing anything about when the, when the Packers game is going to be next weekend. Again, it doesn't matter. Uh, by the time this comes out, you know, when it's going to be that I don't know when we're recording this doesn't matter. So the Packers are going to play the 49ers going to be a tough game, but, um, look, they were two and five. Now they're in the divisional round. We'll take what we can get at this point, and we'll be more than happy with whatever comes our way. Look, to return to the intro, yeah, maybe we should have been happy with what the Packers got. Maybe we should have just been happy to be here in the playoffs. But you know what makes me even happier? Beating the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. Let's talk about some rookies. A solid, solid performance from the Packers' 2023 rookie class in this one. Lucas Van Ness today became the first Packers rookie to have a sack in the playoffs since Frank Zombo had one in Super Bowl 45. Overall, I think pretty good performance from, Luke Musgrave in, or from uh, Lucas Van Ness in this one. Luke Musgrave, too, three catches, 52 yards, and a touchdown. The touchdown coming on the the tight end leak play, the tight end throwback play, Fantastic fantastic design on that one and discerning viewers will note that that was a callback to week 1 when he nearly scored on the exact same play except he fell down this time he doesn't fall down makes his way into the end zone he made his way toward that end zone because according to ESPN he had 17.2 yards of separation at the time of the catch putting that differently he was the most player any player or the most open any player has been on any reception in any game this entire season, no one gets as open as Luke Musgrave. And that one is largely due to play design. But still, we're going to credit him for it. Uh, Jaden Reed, not a statistically great performance for him today. No catches on three targets. Uh, did drop one onside kick. Appeared to recover another. I think he got the second one. Doesn't really matter. Um, that the Packers were able to do what they did on offense without their not number one receiver, but most statistically productive receiver, says a lot about where the rest of this offense is. Tucker Craft, two catches, 15 yards in this one. I said the Packers aren't afraid of anybody. He probably embodies that more than anyone else. He is unafraid of anyone. Today, he's blocking Micah Parsons. A little over a year ago, he was blocking guys from Montana State and Holy Cross. The change that he has gone through over the last year of his football life is nothing short of incredible. And he looks like he could not care less about who he is playing against. He's just going to go out there and be Tucker Craft each and every play. Colby Wooden, one solo tackle, two assists. Nothing spectacular from him today. That's fine. You can get by with workman like performances uh, from your day three rookie defensive lineman. Uh, Sean Clifford got a series before the Cowboys tightened it up a little bit. Shame for him. Would have liked to see him get a little bit more playing time and preserve. Jordan Love's perfect passer rating, still can't have everything, uh, but hey, he got to play in a playoff game. It wasn't his fault that the Cowboys were moving the ball against Joe Barry's defense. Um, just glad that he got to play. Duntavian Wicks, two catches for 25 yards, the touchdown, a thing of beauty again, beating Stephon Gilmore, five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro to get it, not too shabby. Carl Brooks, two assists on tackles and a quarterback hit today. Anders Carlson missed a PAT, but otherwise good in a pretty busy day at the office uh, for the Packers' young kicker. That missed point after, though, did loom fairly large down the stretch because even as tight as it was, and we've said not very tight, 16 points still requires two touchdowns two two-point conversions, and a couple recovered onside kicks to, again, even tie the game. But had it been 17 points, you got to add in one more possession there. It makes it even harder than that already pretty tough hill to climb there for the Dallas Cowboys. The sort of mistake that the Packers are not going to be able to afford, I suspect, against the San Francisco 49ers. Carrington Valentine was running with C.D. Lamb a lot today. Seemed to battle him pretty well, and I think any success for a Day 3 rookie against Lamb is a win for the Packers' defense, who are basically just hanging on for dear life at this point in the secondary. Got to do what you can. Anthony Johnson played, had no recordable stats in this one, at least as of our recording. Zane Anderson was getting some actual snaps with the Packers' defense down the stretch, and I have no idea what that is about, but it doesn't seem like a good sign for the overall state of the Packers' Safety room. Uh, Malik Heath, a healthy scratch today, as was Brenton Cox. Ben Sims was out there a bit, no stats, but was active. And then Emmanuel Wilson, in his return to the active lineup, um, he was active in week 18, but just got no carries. Today, he was active and getting carries ahead of Patrick Taylor. Don't know exactly what that is about. I would have assumed that Taylor was the de facto number two guy. But when the Packers needed backup running back snaps, it seemed by and large they were going to Emmanuel Wilson in this game. Is that a trend? Is that an indicator of things to come? I don't know. Just file that away as a data point. Let's send you on your way with a couple of cheese curds and then we'll be out of here to, well, start the Victory Monday celebration a little bit early. Put it that way. Uh, I have a long-standing rule in terms of uniforms that is pretty, pretty succinct. If you wear white at home, you deserve to lose. I think teams should wear their best uniforms at home. You should look your best for your home crowd. Most of the time, that is your green, or, well, in the Packers' case, it's their green uniforms, but in most cases, it's going to be their your colored uniform, uh, not your road whites. If you wear your whites at home, I think you deserve to lose, and that would mean the Dallas Cowboys deserve to lose each and every game, and I, I can't imagine many Packers fans uh, really have an issue with that. But the Cowboys, who wore white at home today, went with the whiteout theme for their crowd, and they lost. A pretty classic, pretty good-looking uniform matchup, I have to say. Uh, I think the Cowboys' uniforms are one of the weaker, older, old-school-looking uniforms in the league. The helmet, I think, is about as good as it gets. The overall ensemble doesn't do that much for me. But colors-wise, great-looking matchup. Cowboys in their classic home whites, Packers in their green and gold. It looks like football is supposed to look, and the Packers always look pretty good at AT AT&T Stadium, so hey, no complaints from me there. On a more serious note, if there is a bad thing to this game, a real actual bad thing, it is going to be the injuries, defensive injuries in particular, Jair Alexander saying he's he's pretty banged up, looked uh, looked look bad on the ankle there, though it was good to see that he did not need to be, like, carted off the field or anything. Uh, Quay Walker a bit banged up, as was Isaiah McDuffie, meaning the Packers are perilously thin at linebacker right now. Uh, Devondre Campbell, though not officially dealing with anything major, has looked banged up for about a year and a half now, and it appears to be affecting his performance, Um I know he says he's not going to play through injury, uh, but he was—he had been victimized. He was victimized several times in this one, and you know I, it's hard to see the good plays sometimes in, in coverage and stuff like that on on the TV angle. But not one of his better looking games um, as a Packer. And then uh, JJ Ngbare uh got really the kiss of death from Matt Lafleur after the game. Uh, Lafleur said, "My heart hurts for him," which is Lafleur speak for this is a really bad injury. Uh, we'll just kind of wait and see what that is for Bari, but it doesn't sound good right now for Matt LaFleur. Back to the positive stuff. Love to see the Packers taking the ball to start the game. Really set the tone early, but also nearly started in disaster. Cast your mind back to the start of this game. First play, Aaron Jones gets stuffed. Second and 10, Jordan Love is sacked. Big problems for the Green Bay Packers, but. The officials come in to save them. Illegal contact downfield. Uh, Dontavian Wicks got absolutely mugged uh, in the secondary. Packers are bailed out. First and ten. Jones is stuffed again. Second and twelve. Though here comes Romeo Dobbs with the first of many big plays on the day. The Packers only had one play on the rest of that opening drive that failed to gain yardage. They punch it in to go up seven to nothing, and never trailed or were tied again. Aaron Jones, we mentioned, had a big play, or a big day in this one, statistically over 100 yards a game, again, Again, uh, again, three touchdown, obviously a big day, but also was a rock, I thought, in pass protection. Actually sent Micah Parsons to the sideline after one big block, and that says a lot about Aaron Jones, who early in his career was a certified liability in pass protection, now one of the Packers' better ones. When the Packers need some protection, Aaron Jones is there. Uh Preston Smith, just as a note, waved goodbye to the Dallas Cowboys on the Darnell Savage pick six. Always nice to see a little bit of gamesmanship there um and <laughs> just just funny too It's funny uh to see two hundred and seventy five pound Preston Smith parading down the pe- field, waving goodbye to the Dallas Cowboys as Darnell Savage sprints off for six points. A uh, Quay Walker was called for a questionable horse collar, and this one thought. This was another opportunity to review the actual rule on this one. Article 16 in the 2023 NFL rulebook details what is called a horse collar tackle. Quoting, no player shall grab the inside collar of the back or the side of the jersey or shoulder pads or jersey or grab the jersey at the nameplate or above and pull the runner toward the ground. This does not apply to a runner who is in the tackle box or to a quarterback who is in the pocket. End quote. Quay Walker reached from the back to the front of the player's uh, shoulder pads there and pulled him down it looked bad it looked like a horse collar but it was not and it cost the Packers in a big way there as the Packers as the Cowboys were trying to drive down the field for points in that situation finally we said in the preview that every time the Cowboys ran the ball in this one it was a net win for the Packers and I think that proved to be true in a pretty big way The Cowboys did put up 123 yards on the ground on 25 rushing attempts. However, Tony Pollard only averaged 3.7 yards per carry, which is good. And even more importantly, the Cowboys wasted a lot of time trying to get their ground game going. Look, feel good about this game. Feel great about this game. Get excited. Be excited. Stay excited. We get more Packers football. That's the bottom line. We can talk about what it means, what it doesn't mean, Ultimately it may mean nothing. It's all just a silly ball game after a while, or a- after all. But we get to see one more Packers game in a game in a season when it didn't look like they were going anywhere at all. That's pretty awesome. And I'm excited to be there with you throughout this week and after whatever happens next week in San Francisco. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue Fifty Eight. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.